Please rise now as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father. The call comes from Psalm 146. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. And so let us do so. Let us, uh, we've been called to praise the Lord. Let's do so using song, uh, hymn number 570, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then we will be singing Holy, 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 hymn number 230. And then if you'll turn with me to 2.30. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee.
pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you that you have called us into your holy presence. What a privilege. We who, through our sins, do not deserve, shall not stand in your holiness apart from Jesus Christ. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have clothed us with your own righteousness. And so, therefore, we can with boldness enter into the throne of grace, a holy throne of grace. You've rent the veil, and we are able to go into the holy of holies, into your very presence now. You've called us there. And so we pray that you would remove from us anything that hinders our relationship with you. As we confess our sins, and we look to Jesus as the sacrifice, the only sacrifice for our sins. We pray that you would enable us to hear your call of consecration as you call us to renew our relationship with you. We pray, O Lord, that you would receive our tithes and offerings and our prayers and our praises, the different ways that we can respond to you. And we pray, O Lord, that you who have given us many, many, many gifts, enable us, O Lord, to use those gifts for your glory's sake and for the good of your people. Guide, uh, guide us, bless us, in order that we may be a blessing that you may be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we do have opportunity to confess our sins, and we will do that with a responsive reading. That reading comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Found in your bulletin, I'll read the light type. You can respond in the dark. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also Might be better. The mic was. All right, let's let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we do hear these words. We've read these words. The works of the flesh. These works are not acceptable in your sight. What we desire is to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill these lusts of the flesh. But yes, the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that we have fallen short, that we have done these things, maybe not externally, not outwardly, but in our hearts. We know that sin proceeds from the heart. And so we do pray that you would do, again, do that work 
that purging work, that cleansing work, that scalpel of the word, that we may truly uh, see those cancerous sins removed from us. We thank you, Lord, that we are, our identity is in Christ if we believe in Christ and that our sins are forgiven us because of what Christ has done. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would do that continual work of sanctification, though, making us more like Jesus. Yes, you've given us your righteousness, and we stand before you whole, but at the same point in time, you are, hate the garment spotted with the flesh. And so we ask, O oh Lord, for complete cleansing and restoration. We acknowledge that we have offended our Heavenly Father. We've acknowledged that we have offended the Lord Jesus. We've, we, now, we acknowledge that we have grieved the Holy Spirit today and this week. And so we do ask, O oh Lord, for your forgiveness. And we thank you, Lord, for your word that says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that you've taken our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. So far have you removed our transgressions from us. You laid upon him, upon Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And yet, Lord Jesus, you saw the travail of your soul and you were satisfied because you looked at us. So we thank you for your great love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying the work of Christ to our lives. And now we pray that you do that work in our hearts so we, by faith, can rejoice in the forgiveness that we have because of our sure Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let us do so. Let's turn, turn your hymnals to uh, hymn number 282. I greet thee who my sure redeemer are. Uh, 282. Let's stand and greet our Savior.
Amen. Please be seated. And again, if you'll turn with me to the back of that hymnal, and again, we have an opportunity to confess our faith. Let's go ahead and uh, let's change it up a little. Let's go ahead and turn to page 851 and today confess the Apostles' Creed. We've been confessing the Nicene Creed, and it's a great one, uh, but let's go ahead and uh, let's do the Apostles' Creed. So, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it you believe? And then also in the bulletin, you have Lord's Day number 44, as we continue to work our way through the uh, canons of Dort, and uh, focusing on the perseverance of God for the saints. Uh, Article 13, I'll read the light type, if you'll please read the dark type. Neither does renewed confidence of persevering produce lasciviousness or a disregard of piety in those who are recovered from backsliding. But it renders them much more careful and solicitous to continue in the ways of the Lord, which he has ordained, that they who walk therein may keep the assurance of persevering, lest, on account of their abuse of his fatherly kindness, God should turn away his gracious countenance from them to behold which is to the godly dearer than life, and the withdrawal of which is more bitter than death. And they, in consequence thereof, should fall into more grievous torments of conscience. So what is it? what's going on here? Again, the, the focus is on confidence. The focus is a renewal of confidence. In other words, well, what happens when I'm very aware of my sin? I've fallen away, and, and I don't deserve to be in his presence. I, I don't deserve to be a child of God, and, and I'm failing miserably. What do I do? What do I do? Well, by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of, not of works as anyone uh, should boast. And so going back again to what, what is it the catechism says? Question one. What is your only comfort in life and death? When you're struggling in your faith, when you're struggling in disappointment that you, that you fail again, I belong to who? I belong to Jesus, my faithful Savior, who with his precious blood is fully satisfied for all my sins. Do you say that to yourself? Do you remind yourself of that? 
when you're down, when, you, when you're disappointed, I belong to Jesus. He's my faithful Savior. He has conquered all my sins. He's conquered all my enemies. Nothing can separate me from his love. What we find here in Article 13 is a charge of the Arminian party. It was a charge against the doctrine of perseverance. If you notice what it says, it says that they basically said, well, if, if, the, if you, we're going to persevere until the end, then we can do whatever we want. If I'm saved by Jesus, then I can just live as I desire. Uh, lasciviousness or uh, basically a disregard for rules uh, of personal conduct. A conduct, it would be, the term is antinomian, anti-law. Let us sin that grace may abound. What does Paul say about that? May it never, God forbid, may it never be. Okay. How can they who are redeemed from such things live anymore like that? So the charge was, number one, lasciviousness, sensuousness. And secondly, notice the, the word solicitous. What does that word mean? Um, attentiveness. In other words, there's a disregard for godly living. A disregard for devotion to God. A disregard for wanting to be more like Jesus. I can live as I want to. It's all about me and what makes me happy. I'm saved. So I can do whatever I want. That's the charge. Well, if we believe that uh, the, the perseverance of the saints, then that when the answer and the answer, notice what it says. On the contrary, if we understand our total inability to keep God's way and are totally dependent upon His grace for our godly walk, we will be more careful and watchful. If you really understand how easy it is to slip and fall on the ice outside, um, you're going to be very careful every step you take. Uh, Wednesday, we, we had, was an ice storm, and the, and the ramp was really slick. And I decided to wear my cowboy boots, which I don't normally wear, which I will be wearing more and more now that now the winter's changed. And I just remember walking down that ramp, as the rest of us all were, right? We were mincing our steps down that ramp. We got to fix that, by the way. But we were very, very careful, weren't we, about every step. Because I know how easy it is to slip and fall. So if we truly understand our weakness in ourself and our total dependence upon the Lord and his grace, we're going to be more on aware. We're going to be more aware. I can't do it. That's one thing that I've learned. I've been learning the older I get, all the things I used to be able to do that I can't do anymore. How about in our walk with Jesus? Do we get weaker as we get stronger? Do you understand what I'm saying? As we get stronger in the Lord, one of the things that I've experienced is I'm weaker in myself. I don't know if you've experienced that at all. I can't rely on myself as much as I tried to in the past. I've failed and failed and failed. 
The stronger I get in the Lord, the weaker I am. It's kind of like Jacob. Remember Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord, and what does he do? He touches his side, and from that point on, he's hobbling around. But yet he's named a prince of God. His name gets changed from, from trickster to a prince of God. He's stronger in some ways, weaker in others. And so uh, understanding our need for grace and notice, what does it say there? What is the concern that we should have? Look at that statement. On account of their abuse of his fatherly kindness, God should turn away his gracious countenance from them. Now, notice it's not to damnation, but to displeasure. Did you notice that? In other words, I don't know if you've ever prayed that, but I've prayed that. Lord, break my heart with the things that break your heart. You ever prayed that prayer? Break my heart with the things that I do that breaks your heart. Give me that sensitive heart. It is, uh, notice what they say. God should turn his uh, gracious countenance from them to behold which is to the godly dearer than life. Is God's smiling countenance upon you dearer than your life? More important than the air you breathe. More important than life itself. Is I want the Father, my Father who art in heaven, to smile when he sees me. If not, pray for that. Pray for the Lord to give you that. And then the opposite says, and the withdrawal of that is more bitter than death. In other words, the regenerate heart is more concerned with God's pleasure than with our own salvation. That's an interesting statement. We are more concerned about God's pleasure than for our own salvation. That's a work of the Spirit, because we're all self-centered, right? Oh, maybe you're not, but I am, right? We all naturally go watch out for number one. And so salvation, you know, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus died for me to be saved me, right? That's the gospel. Well, there is an element of truth, but is it really all about you? Or is it about Jesus? And you're the beneficiary. You're the benef one who benefits. And so God, do we live for the pleasure of God? Do you live for the pleasure of God? Do you live for that day when he will say, well done, good and faithful servant? Enter into the joy of the Lord. Does that, does that motivate you at all? Does it even come to mind when you go to work? Do you work for the glory of God, for his pleasure? Now, I saw, and I've, I've referred to this movie before, and I'll end with this. Uh, there's a book, a, a movie that became, actually won an Academy Award, Chariots of Fire. Anybody watch, have you ever, who's seen it? Movie Chariots of Fire. Okay, we have a few more hands than last time I asked. What is Eric Liddell, who is a Christian, who's running, and his sister is saying, you're so, get, so caught up in your running that you're forgetting what you're called to do and be. And his response to her was what? God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I'm doing what God has called me to do. I run the race for the glory of God and for his pleasure. Is that your heart? Whatever it is God has given you to do, I'm doing it 
whether to eat or drink or whatever I do, I do all for the glory of God. May God work in our hearts that that would be the norm, not the exception. Amen? Amen. Let us prepare for the sermon this morning. If you will, once again, take up your, your hymnal. This is a new hymn, I think, from what I re- recall, and uh, 461. Uh, do you want to go ahead and play through it once? And let's stand and sing. Blessed are the sons of God. Working our way through Ephesians, we're in chapter 4, but uh, also we have a New Test- an Old Testament scripture reading this morning, and that is from Psalm 133, probably a very familiar psalm. Psalm 133, we'll read that psalm, it's three verses, and then we will turn to chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. Hear now the word of God, a song of ascents. Of David. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And now to our text, Ephesians chapter 4. We pick up in the second half of the Apostle Paul's letter to the 
brethren in Ephesus and to us. Verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The grass withers and the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Father in heaven. We do come before you once again and acknowledge that we are your children and we are in need of milk. We are in need of bread. We are in need of more than milk and bread. We are in need of your very word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we thank you that through the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, you gave this portion of your word to them, to the Ephesians, to the saints that are in Ephesus, and to the saints that are in Dickinson. And so we ask, O Lord, for your blessing now, as we have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. We've opened your word. We've heard it read now. We ask, O Lord, for your blessing upon the preaching of it, that it would not be just empty words up here, but that it would be you speaking from heaven through your spirit and word and open our hearts that we would receive, and that this would not be in vain, but it would be planted, your word would be planted deep within our hearts. We ask for the hundredfold fruit thereof. We ask for your blessing again, in order that you be glorified, 
and that your people would be blessed and that the world would know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think I've talked about this once before, maybe not. Uh, have you ever stopped and thought about how, how complex it is to walk? We, you all walked into this building. Um, uh, nobody here has a walker. The only one with a walker is now in Arizona. So nobody came in with a walker that I can... Anybody bring a cane? Nobody came in walking using a cane. So you all walked in on your two feet, and you walked more or less well. Have you ever thought about how many things have to be in place in order to walk? You ever thought about that? You know that you can't walk properly if you have a problem with your ear? Did you know that? If, if you have an imbalance in your ear, you can't walk properly. It doesn't go anywhere near the dirt. It doesn't go anywhere near the ground, but you have, your ear has to be working properly. What about your neck? Is your neck involved at all? Well, the nerves, all the nerves that run down into your body run through the neck. If there's a problem with the nerves here, you're paralyzed can you walk if you're paralyzed from the neck? The answer is no. Your neck is involved in walking. What about your brain? Is your brain involved in walking? Yeah, that one's kind of more obvious. What about your muscles? What about your bones? All of those things, and there's so much more. How about every soul in your body, and one, every cell in your body to some degree works together for you to be able to walk. But do we think about that? Do you th did you think about it today as you got out of the car and you walked here, you were thinking about your feet? and Well, maybe a little bit if it was a little slippery, you were a little bit more aware than normal. But other than that, you don't even think about it, do you? No, we do. We take it for granted. But the point is, is that all of those elements of your body all have to be in tune and working together for you to be able to be normal to be able to walk from point A to point B. Paul here is speaking about the body of Christ. How does the body of Christ together, we together, are essential. Every one of us is, a, is together essential for the body of Christ to walk through the earth. As one, psalm, uh, one singer writes, Christ has no body on earth but yours. Not only you individually in Christ, but we as the body of Christ, we are his body on earth. He's in heaven. He rules from heaven. And so we're talking about essentials. So if you notice, the title of my sermon is Essentials of Christianity. Based on the manifold grace of God given to us, that is the church, through Jesus Christ, we are called to conduct our lives or to walk, endeavoring to keep to keep or guard the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In order to walk, the whole body has to be united, working together. And so it is with the church. Our Lord Jesus Christ enables us through his gracious gifting to grow to maturity in this calling. Are you aware of your personal call in this endeavor? 
and how are you going to fulfill it? Again, stop and think about that. Um, your legs are not the same length as they were when you were two or one. If one of your two legs stopped growing and the other one continued to grow, would you be able to walk or run without, unhindered? The answer is no. Both legs have to grow at the same rate in order for you to continue to walk. If not, then there's problems, and then you have to see a doctor, and then all these things go on that try to maintain and keep that growth. And so Paul is concerned with the growth of the body, the growth of the body of Christ. So let us look at those three elements, those three uh, statements. What is, the first one is pretty obvious, and that is, is Christ essential for Christianity? This is one of those, duh, pastor, what do you think? Of course. What has Paul been doing throughout this, con this letter? He's been focusing on being in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, he, uh, the essence of these first three chapters is in chapter 2, verse 6. Well, let's back up to, five, to four. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together. Notice that word, together, together, together. He's talking about the church, not just you and me individually. He's raised us up together in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. He's made us to sit together in Christ, in heaven. Seated. So the first verb in the uh, first half of the book, if you want to focus on that, is seated together in the heavenlies in Christ. Remember that our faith is based upon the objective truth of Christ, of the gospel, of the word of God. Our faith is not based upon our faith. Our faith is based upon what God is and does. And so what we've been looking at for the past few months is the blessings in Christ, chapters 1 and 2, and our position in Christ, who Christ is, what Christ has done, and who am I in Christ, right? Well, who am I? Paul starts with, you are saints, you are set-apart ones. In Christ. He has chosen you from all eternity. He accomplished your redemption. He applies that, that redemption through the work of the Spirit. Chapter 1. You were dead, but he brought you to life. He seated you in heavenly places. You were aliens and foreigners, but now you are part of the household of God. Christ has revealed the mystery that was hidden from ages. Now the Jews and Gentiles, that all peoples are brought together as one in Christ. We are one people. 
the people of God. And now we come to chapter 4. Notice he, he then uses that word, therefore. What did we say when we run into that word? What is the author doing? Therefore, because of what I've just been talking about, the based upon the grace of God and the work of God, therefore, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, he just said that in chapter 3, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, now he says, I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, I beg you to now put what I just said to practice. One word, second verb in the letter, walk. Walk, and he'll say it again, walk, and he'll say it again, walk, and he'll say it again, walk, and he'll say, don't walk, and walk. Okay, throughout chapter 4, chapter 5, and into chapter 6, he's going to go, it's going to be sounding like a broken record. Walk, 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 walk. Okay? And then the third verb that begins in chapter 6, verse 10, he says, finally, lastly, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, of the sage, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Take up, therefore, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand, therefore. So, if you want to summarize the book of Ephesians, it's seated in heavenly places, sit, walk, worthy of the calling you've been called, and stand. Sit, walk, stand. That's the message of the book. If I haven't mentioned that before, I think I have, but that's um, a good way to describe what Paul is saying. I'm seated in Christ, now I'm called to follow Christ, I'm to walk. Following Jesus, that's life, walking through life. And there are times when, during that walk with Jesus, that the enemies attack, and what am I to do? I'm to stand, 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 and stand in the power of his might. So the focus is Christ. Christ being in Christ is essential for Christianity. He uses this phrase over and over again. In chapter 1, he used it in verse 4, 6, 7, 10. In verse chapter 2, verse 6, and on and on and on. All the promises of God are in, in heaven, in Christ right now. So what should be your response? What should be your response? In Christ, I am seated. Now, you're seated here in Dickinson, North Dakota, but more importantly, in Christ, you're already in heaven. You're already in position. You're already there. Is that, could, should that not cause us to rejoice? Should it? It should. Does it? Oh, pastor, we know about that. No big deal. Really? We should be jumping up and down. 
if we really knew where we should be, where we've been delivered, and that I have comfort. I have confidence. When I look at myself, when I look at what's going on around me, when I look at what's happening in Israel, when I look at what's happening in, in our country, when you see all of this wickedness, vileness that's happening, and I get agitated, where should my eyes be? Fixing your eyes on Jesus. He's seated in heaven right now, and you're with him. Nobody's going to mess with me. Nobody's going to separate me from the love of God, even myself, according to Romans 8. Okay? It should cause us to rejoice and, at the same point in time, to fear in a good way, to respect what Christ has done. A way of saying thank you, isn't it? So, yes, our state apart from Christ, chapter 2, is dead in trespasses and sin, is aliens and separated, but in Christ, we have peace with God. He is our peace. And it's broken down the wall of separation. So my question to you this morning is, are you found in Christ? What's the alternative? If you're not in Christ, what are you? You're against Christ. You understand that? Usually I'll say you're in Adam, but another way of saying it, Jesus says either you're with me or against me. If you're not in him, if you're not trusting in Christ alone for salvation, you're in another kingdom that's against him. Where do you stand? Are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation? Is he your only hope? Are you resting in Christ? John 17.3 says we have eternal life now. If you're against him, what does he say? Uh, depart from me. I never knew you. Which word? Paul's point, again, is that we are seated in Christ in the heavenlies right now. We have eternal life. It has already begun. It is through Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, and his rule from heaven that we have eternal life now. Christ is our salvation. Christ is our only Savior. Christ is the head of the body. In him we live and move and have our being. So what is the point? Christ is essential for Christianity. Without him, there is no Christianity. You understand that? I know, Pastor, we, we know all that. We've, we've heard it so many times before, before. But is it important to you? Remember that one hymn? Tell me the old, old story. Repeat it over and over again. I need to hear it again and again. Is familiarity breed contempt? Oh, I know this stuff. No. By grace you have been saved. Thank you, Lord, for the grace of Christ. Secondly, second point, the body of Christ is essential. Again, Jesus, uh, or Paul through, through uh, uh, Paul says, we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Christ is not only seated in the heavenly places, but here in our text, what is he doing? What has he done? Look at in verse 7. 
But to each one of us, notice that, to each one of us, who's the us? It's the church. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Christ has given gifts. He's given the gift of salvation, but he's given other gifts as well. I don't know about you, but I do receive gifts. Do you? You like it when someone cares enough to show you something, give you something, especially something you need? So what has he done? What is the gift? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's a gift that God created you. You are his poema. You're his work of art. That's a gift to be created with a particular purpose in mind. You're his masterpiece, and he is declaring and revealing his glory through your life and through you. Is that a gift? Did he have to do it? Did someone pull the gun to his head and say that you have to make this person your masterpiece? No, he did it because he loves you. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In chapter 2, verse 19, look at it again. We're talking about the church as a whole. He says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So, number one, he's created you to be part of the house. You're in his family. He's your father. He's given you the ability to say, Abba, Father, and, and God to say, yes, my son, yes, my daughter. What would you like? What's wrong? What's up? He goes on to write, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows. That's an interesting how does a building grow? How does it go? No, I mean, this, this physical building, the only way it's going to grow is if we add to it, right? But he's talking of something that is organic, just like your body grew from being a little bitty baby to being an adult or an older child, right? He's talking about an organic growth of the building, the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. As Moses built the tabernacle, as Solomon built the temple, so the Holy Spirit is building the church as a dwelling place of God. Is that a gift to be part of a greater thing than you will ever be in this life? I'm working, I'm saving money, I'm preparing for retirement, I'm doing these things, I'm taking care of my family, all these sort of things. But what's the ultimate purpose of life? It isn't he who dies with the most toys wins. You ever see that bumper sticker? Years ago, I remember that one. He who dies with the most toys wins. No. We have a greater purpose, and it's a gift. We are a habitation of the Spirit of God. 
you and I are part of the Holy of Holies, where the high priest could not enter in. But yet we are that building. God dwells with us, in us. We are a habitation of the Spirit. He goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may, might be made known by the church to principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We talked about this before. You and I are the university of the angels. The angels learn about God by watching him deal with us. The manifold grace of God, the many-hewn grace of God, mercy, or a wisdom of God is revealed to the angels through the church. Isn't that an amazing thought? The angels are right now up there taking notes, watching you, watching what God is doing through the church. We are declaring, we are that school, declaring and revealing, making known by the church to the principalities and powers. And an amazing house again, the church, we as the church. Uh, verse 21 of chapter 3, I'm sorry, of chapter, yeah, of chapter 3. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. To him be glory. God is glorified in the church of Christ, Jesus. Is that a privilege? Is that why we are here, to glorify God? Is God glorified through the church? Is God glorified for a, by a bunch of failures? Yes, by grace, not by works. Even our works are tainted. But yet God, through our tainted works, still is glorified because it's grace, right? The reward comes not of merit, but of grace. But now, notice again, the focus is the gift in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. you ever thought of it this way? The church is Christ's gift to the world. you ever thought of it that way? That what would the world be like without the church? Without the gospel? Without the restraining work of the Holy Spirit through the church? What would this place be like? It would be hell on earth. There would be no hope. There would be no salvation. It would be hell on earth. The gift of the church to the world who have been entrusted, what does Paul say? That the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar, that which exalts the truth. There are many truths out there, but there's only one truth, and that is what God says is true. And the church's call is to, to pillar, to hold up and declare the truth. And also, the 
ground, it means it's not that the truth is grounded on the church, but the church acts as a guardian to protect the, tr- the truth from being attacked by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Did you notice that? It says, the church is the pillar and the guardian of the truth. That's the responsibility of the church. Take the church out of the way, what do you have? Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Anarchy and destruction. The gospel is proclaimed by the truth. Hope to the world is proclaimed by the truth, by the church. The church is Christ's gift to the world according to this passage, and the Spirit of God is Christ's gift to the church, and that gift has been distributed. But, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Two sets of gifts here. Gift number one is found in verse 11. And he himself, notice that he, he, double, he double pronouns it, he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, pastor-teachers, however you want to. So there's offices, verse 11, and then gift number two is in verses 7, 12, and 16. Focus on 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Also verse 16 from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In other words, Christ has given offices to equip the saints or to enhance the other gift, the gifts that are given to every one of us. We function as a body. Now, now there's a, I could spend time on that. Well, what about apostles and prophets and evangelists? Are they still going on today? There's some people that claim to be apostles today. What would you say if I got up here and said, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ? I hope you would rebuke me. Why? Are there apostles walking around today? Why do we need apostles now? If the Bible wasn't sufficient, well, Paul just said in chapter 2, what? That the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. The church has been founded on the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. So is there a need for more apostles? Like the Mormon church that has her 12 apostles. Do we need the vicar of Christ from Rome speaking and adding to the Bible? No, there's no more apostles. They've fulfilled their job. What about the prophets? Again, do we need prophets? People walking around saying, I'm a prophet of God and I can take over this pulpit and tell you all what to do? Is that going on today? No, we have the word of God. What about evangelists? He's not talking about Billy Graham. Okay? Talking about someone that, that was a missionary that came in and established New Testament churches. Like, Paul, like Timothy and Titus, are they still around today? The answer is no. 
are there pastors still and teachers? And the answer is yes. That's my job, right? That's the job of pastors and teachers. But notice what the job is, the gifting of the church with pastors is to do what? Oh, it says the pastor is supposed to do everything, right? We hired you, pastor, and you're supposed to do everything in the church. You're supposed to do the work of the ministry. Is that what Paul is saying here? Huh? Are there churches that think that way? That they hire the pastor to do everything? Is that what Paul is saying here? No. What does he say? Verse 11. Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So who does the ministry? The church does. You do. I do as a member of the church. You do as a member of the church. My job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. If you're not doing work of ministry, I am failing. Come talk to me, please. Okay? We are called together and we all have gifts. And God has chosen to use you and use me in the gifts that God has given. Some of you are, are very faithful in those gifts. Some of those gifts are things that you don't see, like prayer. How many of you have been praying this month for your pastor? It sounds kind of selfish, but supposedly this month is what? Pastor Appreciation Month, right? At least do you pray for your pastors. What does Paul do over and over again? Say, pray for me, pray for me. The number one thing you can do for your pastor, do for your elder, do for your leaders is to pray. That is the most precious gift that you can do. And we can all do that, right? We've all been given access and ability to pray. That's one of the many gifts. But what does he say again? Equipping the saints for the work of of service, of ministry, so that the body of Christ would be edified until we all grow up. We all come to the unity of the faith. That we should no longer be children scattered about being tricked and everything else, but growing up, speaking the truth in love. That's the calling of the pastor, is to help you to grow up, mature. Why do you think I spend time on Wednesday evenings talking about Bible study methods? Because I want you to be able to feed yourself. Right? All right. Enough of that. The church is united in Christ, and we are commanded to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Chapter 4, verse 3. One is the key word in the first six verses. Our unity in Christ, he is the head. He's not a mere man. It is Christ and Christ alone who, who unifies the body. But we are called to follow him. And then notice again, coming back to that third point, and we're running out of time. The third point is not only is Christ essential, the body of Christ as, as a whole is essential, but you, each member of the body of Christ, is essential. And I've kind of been driving on that one. We are joined and, and knit together, he says, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its, whole, its share, 
and it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What happens if you're working with a saw and you cut off a part of your finger? You ever, I don't think anybody here has ever done that. I had a, a neighbor back in, uh, back in Lodi, California, and he was working with a saw and he cut off three or four of his fingers and then they rush him to the hospital and they reattach those fingers to his hand, but they never worked the same. He, he lost the ability that he used to have as a strong individual. What happens when you lose a finger or a portion of a finger, does it affect the whole body? Or is it just there, the finger? No, it affects the whole body from then on. Well, each of us are part of that body. And what happens if part of us is injured, one of us is injured? It affects the whole body. We're called to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, right? Because it, we are interconnected. We are one body in Christ. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the elders. Every person is essential to the body of Christ. Isn't that true in a family? Is the father essential in a family? Is a mother essential in the family? Oh, yes. Mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Uh, uh, is, uh, is, are the children essential or important? Yes. Everyone in the family is important. What about grandparents? Are grandparents important? Unfortunately, in our culture today, grandparents are just thrown away, right? They're useless in many, many families. There's such wisdom packed up in, that, in those grandparents. Do you appreciate your grandparents? I still wish I would have asked my dad many questions about the war. You guys love my, war, my dad's war stories, right? I wasn't smart enough to ask him other questions that you asked me that I wish I would have remembered. While you have an opportunity, talk to your grandparents. Learn from them. Spend time with them. Appreciate them. There are many, many things, many treasures that God has given you, gifts that God has given you in your family. Are they essential? Are they important? And the answer is yes. Even more so in the church. I could go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about the gifts. You can look at that. Or Romans chapter 12. Here's a few. In what ways are you important? Number one, God has given you gifts. You don't know what they are? Start using them. Some of you have the gift of being able to play the piano. Some of you don't. Some of you want to. Use those gifts. Develop them. God has given you the ability. Exercise those gifts with the body. What about attendance? Is attendance an important gift to the body of Christ? Your presence here, is it important to me? What happens if you're not here? You know what happens to me when you're not here? And you haven't communicated that you're not going to be here? What did I say on Wednesday was my besetting sin? Worry. 
What do you think happens to me when I look out and I don't see you there? What am I tempted to do? If you haven't told me that you're not going to be here, what is my temptation? Worry. Are you okay? Is everything fine? Just like your mother calls you to the Thanksgiving dinner and you don't show up. Does your mother worry about you? Right? So pray for me in that area. But yeah, your attendance is a gift. One of the things that Dan has said is, is that the number of people here affects the preaching. Does that make sense? When we have 60 people here, there's a difference between 60 and 20. Yes, no, have you noticed that? There's a dynamic that changes. Once we hit a certain point, there's a dynamic that changes in this, in this congregation. Your attendance is essential. Not only if you're not here, but if you are here, you're available to love somebody else. How can you show love to somebody else if you're not there? Hmm? How can you be used of God to minister to a need if you're at home? Attendance. Tithes and offerings. One of the pastors here in the Northern Plains who's retired says, I will come to any church and preach on tithes and offerings because most pastors won't preach on it because it seems self-serving. So one day we're going to have Reverend Paul Henderson come to church and he's going to preach on tithes and offerings. He's already offered to do so. I'm not going to go into all that, but what, uh, does, uh, does God own everything? Is the earth the Lord's and the fullness thereof? Does he need your money? He only, it's already his, right? We keep driving that point, right? The money you have is his. You're just called to give a good account for what, as a manager of what he's given, right? He calls for us to be hilarious givers, cheerful givers. We'll leave it at that. What about look out for one another? Galatians 6.1, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. You see a brother or sister struggling, come alongside, how can I pray for you? Is everything okay? Is that our calling, to love one another as Christ has loved him? Uh, Paul writes it to the Thessalonians, warn, comfort, uphold, and be patient. These are all calling. How about encouraging the leadership? Have you ever gone up to Dan and said, thank you, Dan, for being my elder? Hmm? Have you ever said that? He's working a full-time job, managing a company. He's got a family. He's a busy man. And he sacrifices himself. Do you ever say thank you and encourage him? Do you pray for him? Do you esteem him? Do you submit to him? He's a pretty easygoing guy. He doesn't really ask much of you. But we're called to submit to, to our elders. Encourage one another. In conclusion, Jesus has conquered sin, death, and the devil and has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We are therefore to share those gifts in the context of the body of Christ to mutually build up and edify one another. Christ is essential, the body of Christ is essential, you are essential to Christianity.
Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we do come before you and we thank you for the gifts, the multitude of gifts, the manifold, the many-hued grace that you have granted unto us. Help us to understand, appreciate, and to use those gifts that you've given us. We ask for your blessing in this endeavor, for the glory of your kingdom, and for the salvation of the lost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by giving up his tithes and our offerings. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for the multitude of gifts, including these resources, financial. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to to serve you and that you've given us not only financial resources, but time. It's such a precious, precious gift. Forgive us for not managing our time in the ways that would be best used for your glory. Forgive us for not managing our resources, whether it be our relationships, whether it be our opportunities of service and work, whether it be whatever it is that you've called us to. Forgive us for failing you, and we thank you, Lord, that you do forgive us, and you do restore us, and you do enable us. And so we do commit to you all things, these tithes and offerings and the works of our hands, the things we've done this week, We thank you, Lord, for the multitude of ways you've heard our prayers and have answered them. We pray that you would provide for us our daily bread so that your kingdom would be revealed, your will would be revealed. We pray, O Lord, for healing of relationships. We pray, O Lord, for peace. We are called to be peacemakers, but ultimately it is the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who brings peace. And so we pray that you'd help us, though, to be instruments as you've given us peace with you through Jesus Christ. Enable us to be peacemakers at the home, at work, in the neighborhood, in the world. We pray, O oh Lord, for the, the warfare that is about us. We know that there are many snares. There are many temptations that spring up around us. And many times we get caught in the trap. And so, Lord, deliver us, we pray. Protect us. Enable us, as Paul says, to stand in the whole armor of God and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And so we ask, O Lord, for as we walk with you, enable us to stand against the wiles of the devil. We pray, O Lord, for the church as we've been hearing Uh, today and the importance of the church for the world, that the gospel is entrusted into her hands, that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And we thank you for that promise. 
and yet the gates of hell are there. And we see many captives that are in need of the gospel, are in need of freedom and deliverance. And so, Lord, use your church to bring and free those that are held captive unto death. O Lord, have mercy on their souls. We do lift up to you our world that seems to be breaking down and going into great disunity. And yet, the only unity really is the cross, is Christ. And so we pray that you would bring that unity. We pray for those in Israel, uh, many who are named Jews, but yet who do deny you. Oh, Lord, have mercy on their souls. We lift up to you the Palestinians. Um, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would protect them and also save them. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, believers, uh, are there. We pray for your protection. We pray for Hamas that you would, um, as its name means, violence, that you would restrain that violence and stop them from destroying both Palestinian lives as well as Israelis. We lift up to you other wars that are going on, not only in Europe with Ukraine and Russia, but wars that are occurring in Africa and the wars that are occurring even in our country, not basically with guns, but yet with words. We see a great agitation all around us. And yet, Lord, you've called us to be peacemakers. Enable us to do so through prayer and through action. We lay before you our needs, our particular needs. We pray for traveling mercies uh, for those who are traveling. We thank you, Lord, for bringing Skip and Darlene safely to Arizona and bless them in their, uh, their winterizing down there. We ask your blessing upon them. Uh, we ask, O oh Lord, for uh, especially for the Schimitz family as they prepare and are waiting to go to Poland to get Melly. We ask that you would work in the hearts of the Polish government and that that would be uh, completed and that they would be able to leave even this week, if it is your will, and bring her back. We thank you, Lord, for your work in Weezer, Idaho. We pray for our brothers and sisters there as we receive uh, two more families into the body now and as we uh, come alongside them next Sunday as pastor goes and ministers there, we do pray uh, that you would build up that church and provide a pastor uh, for that church. We lift up to you Jimmy John Hall. Thank you for his willingness to come and preach here next Sunday. We ask for your traveling mercies for him as well. We lay before you the churches without pastors. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would raise up men after your own heart. We lay before you our own concerns, anything not mentioned. We lay these before you and pray the prayer which you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us close with the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that is hymn number 404.
Receive now God's blessing and benediction. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Appreciation Month. Thank you, Pastor, for all of your efforts. Thank you, Becky, for assisting Mike. Uh, he'd be a wreck without you, there's no doubt. So thank you. We, we do appreciate you. And uh, 